welcome you to the newest podcast on the airways called Down the Line. I'm Brevin Hunda alongside Kyle Betts, and we're going to be covering you all things sports. We're going to be talking baseball right now with as we approach the dog days of summer. We're going to talk football. I know it's off season, but we're still a few months away from the NFL season beginning in September. We've got we're going to cover NBA. We've got conference finals going on right now. We're going to talk all things sports. I mean, especially with the Olympics right around the corner. Yeah, Brevin, I'm definitely excited to uh, talk about all this with you. Um, not only is it summertime, but it's a great time for sports because there's a lot going on, like you mentioned, and I'm definitely excited to get down and uh, break it all down. Mm-hmm. Now, a little bit about both of us. Uh, Kyle, you want to start? Yeah, so um, I am a recent graduate from San Diego State University, as is Brevin. Um, just uh, graduated with a bachelor's in journalism. Uh, during my time at SCSU, I was a staff writer, assistant sports editor, and sports editor of the Daily Aztec, which is SCSU student newspaper. Um, I've also been a guest on uh, Brevin's shows on KCR College Radio throughout the years. So we have a little bit of experience collaborating with each other on uh, similar talk shows like these, but um, definitely excited to kind of start our own thing here. And um, Another thing about me is I will be attending the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication at Arizona State uh, for a master's degree in sports journalism this upcoming August. So uh, really looking forward to that as well. And then Brevin, brief intro about yourself. Yeah, um, before I get into that, Kyle, tell us some of your favorite teams, um, some of your favorite sports that you watch. Yeah, so I am a uh, lifelong fan of all these teams and for some of them, they, they hurt more than others. Um, but I'll start with baseball. Uh, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Is it even of Anaheim anymore? I don't know. But I'm an Angels fan for baseball. Um, so, yeah, that, that kind of speaks for itself. Um, basketball, I'm an L.A. Lakers fan. That one's a little better. <laughs> and then um, for NFL, it's Denver Broncos. I've probably been a Broncos fan the longest of all these teams. Uh, probably between them and the Angels. I've uh, been a fan of those teams as long as I can remember. Um, uh, hockey, I follow a little bit of hockey, Anaheim Ducks. That's a team I support. Um, soccer, Manchester United, that's my team. I've been rolling with them for about a decade now. Um, I think that's it. Anything that I'm missing? Not that I could think of. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's, that's the core uh, kind of group of teams that I follow. Mm-hmm. Brevin, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, so I grew up in San Diego. We're recording this here in San Diego. Uh, and to be a native, it's one thing, and it's been kind of special to be able to go to college here in San Diego and to come to San Diego State, to write for the Daily Aztec, to be a contributor, to staff writer, to senior staff writer. It's been so much to uh, so much work that we that I put in over the last, those three years to cover all these different teams, cover all these different games to see championships and some blowout games and some hard losses too. But, you know, it's been really fun to be here at San Diego State um, and to see the, to get that bachelor's in journalism too. Um, some of my favorite teams, I'm a big Padres fan when you come from San Diego. Uh, been a Padres fan really since all my life. Um, my family and I were season ticket holders. Um, been season ticket holders since the days of the queue down at Qualcomm Stadium. Um, so that's always been fun. Um, I really don't have any other favorite teams. I mean, 
I'll watch a lot of teams. I'll watch a lot of sports. I mean, I'll watch NFL. I'll watch NBA. I'll watch hockey. I just, it kind of helps because that way then you don't have to root for one team. Yeah, I, I totally understand. That. I, I wish I wish that I was in the same case. Uh, we we're on social media. If you guys want to follow us, um, I'm on Twitter. You can follow me at Brevin Honda, um, at B R E V E N, uh, no space H O N D A. Kyle, you want to uh, shout out your social media handles? Yeah, it's at Kyle B Betts, K Y L E B B E T Z. Uh, you can find me anywhere on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I'm everywhere, so find us there. And um, go, kind of going off of uh, our introductions, Brevin, um, the reason that we really wanted to uh, kind of go with this down-the-line name as um, part of the birth of this podcast is really because um, I'm an Orange County native. Brevin's from San Diego, like you mentioned, so you know, we're kind of going down the coastline in terms of uh, where we originate, um, the teams that we support, and then also down the line kind of applies to really any other sport as uh, just an expression. So we thought, hey, might as well um, have that as the podcast name. Mm-hmm. Yep. We're going to get into our sports now. And this is going to be a generic question is, you know, as we come out of this, well, as we slowly start to get out of this COVID-19 pandemic, we're starting to see more fans back at games. We saw an opening day earlier in the year. We saw 100% capacity out in Texas for the Rangers. Now you start to see, you know, most um, MLB stadiums, you see NBA arenas, even hockey arenas start to have 100% capacity now. And Kyle, what's it like to see fans or full capacity uh, for these games? Oh, it's awesome. And I don't think it's something that we're ever going to take for granted again. I, th- I feel like some people already might be taking that for granted just because of all these people back in the arenas and things of that sort. But, you know, it's great because um, I've only been to two games since the start of the pandemic. Uh, one was an Angels game. One was a Padres game. And those were still during the, you know, when the pandemic was dragging on earlier on in April uh, late March, I was able to make my way out to those ballparks, and it was great. I mean, just being in an atmosphere with um, more than however many people, you know, it, it was great to be in an environment where, you know, we can all be there and watch sports together, so it's awesome, and I can definitely tell that fans are really bringing these these teams' energy, whether that be, you know, players competing in the NBA playoffs right now, or just uh a regular Wednesday night game between the Padres and Dodgers. I mean, last night felt like playoff baseball. We're going to get into that, mm-hmm. but um, it's, it's awesome. Uh, and I, I know that the players are definitely going to be feeding off that sort of uh, electricity that the crowd uh, brings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, too. And I think about having all these fans back, it shows all the support these fans have for their teams, especially during the year where these teams are playing without fans and you get to really, not only do the fans get to see that like all together, but then the players get to see that and something that they didn't get to see last year. I mean, could you imagine last year in the bubble or for the NBA, if you were a Suns fan in Orlando, you know, cheering on a eight and O team, you know, that's something that you really don't get to, um, you really did get to be a part of because of obviously the health restrictions. All right. We're going to talk some baseball as Kyle teased. Um, you know, pre- pretty much playoff baseball here in late June between the Padres and Dodgers. 
The Padres came into the series uh, out of a came into this homestand on a road trip where they went one and five, including being swept by the Rockies and um, taking one out of three for the Mets. And they come out and sweep the Cincinnati Reds in four games, and they come and play the Dodgers. And for a team that took three out of four in late April in LA, they come in and sweep the Dodgers. That's now leading the season series seven and three and the Padres have now won seven of their last eight in LA for three, three big crowds. I want to say three sellouts as well for that, for those three games. It was a great series between the Padres and Dodgers. And I mean, you could see that from the first game as well. Yeah. You think about Monday night with that six, two victory for the Padres, you know, Manny Machado hitting a three run homer to cap off that four run first inning off Julio Arias. You know, that was, you know, and a lot of it, you know, we heard it a lot during post-game interviews, whether it was from Blake Snell, you know, whoever it was, you know, they really fed off the, they really fed off the energy over the last seven games. And that's really show, I mean, when you got, when people understand the talent that this ball club has, you really, that's what, that's really what's going to bring the energy. And we saw that so far, all seven games of this homestand. Another thing I, I, I can add to that is, I mean, going off of Monday's game, I mean, that's the first time they're, they're an underdog, the Dodgers, in a game since October 9, 2019. 150 straight games of being favored to win. And then, I mean, what happens? Vegas knows. <laughs> yeah, Vegas does know. They're, they're pretty smart down uh, in the valley down there. Um, you think about Jake Cronenworth and what he was able to do the entire series, having a homer in each of the three games. He had three RBIs on Monday. He had another homer on Tuesday. And he had another first inning homer yesterday um, against Trevor Bauer. And this is, you know, you think about the pitching that the Dodgers have with Trevor Bauer, Clayton Kershaw, and Julio Rios, the three, the three Dodgers starting pitchers this week. It wasn't, it wasn't going to be a walk. It was going to be a cakewalk this week. And so you know that both sides were going to have big at-bats. They were going to have long at-bats. They were going to foul pitches off. And it was a matter of which team was going to be able to just continue to fire punches. And the thing, I'm pretty sure I saw this over the 14 runs scored for the Padres. 11 of them came via the homer. Wow. Tells you everything you need to know right there about this offense. Mm-hmm. You add, you know, Manny Stewart and Homer. You, you, you know, we don't even bring up Fernando Tatis Jr. because that's how deep this lineup is. I mean, you got Jake Cronenworth. Oh, we brought him up with the three homers. You have Hostile Kim, a guy that the Padres signed out of the Korean baseball organization during the winter. He hits a homer off Clayton Kershaw. He has, that really was the go-ahead run for the Padres on Tuesday night. You know, you have Victor Carantini, who's, comes in that U Darvish trade last year. He hits a homer last night in the seventh inning late. Um, and then you see the pitching too. I mean, we've been so used to seeing Craig Salmon in the seventh, Emilio Pagan in the eighth, and Mark Melanson in the ninth. But Tuesday night in a one-run ball game, we didn't see Craig Salmon and Mark uh, Emilio Pagan. We saw the Bill Crismat and Mason Thompson come in and, you know, to really – it really shows the energy and the belief that Padres manager Jace Tingler and uh, Padres GM AJ Preller have, and 
bringing up these young guys in these pivotal spots. I mean, we saw that last year in the playoffs with bringing up Ryan Weathers um, to pitch in that um, National League Division Series. Yeah, it's it's incredible what Jay Stingler has been able to do. And just having that disposal of players um, that can make an impact at, on it at any time. Like you mentioned, you don't need Tatis to have, you know, a seven-hit series in order for the Padres to get a sweep. When you have guys like Cronenworth, Hoffsong, Kim step up, I mean, it's going to pay dividends in the long run because, I mean, you're going to need these guys for 170, 80-plus games down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the one thing about this last seven games, it's been really it's been somebody different every single day. And I think that you think about teams that have that success, it comes from everybody. It comes from someone different every single day. I mean, you think about, you know, being a Potteries fan, you think about that 98 team back in 1998. It was, it wasn't just Tony Gwynn doing everything every single day. It was everybody doing something every single day. It was, whether it was Greg Vaughn one day or it was Chris Gomez the next, or it was Wally Joyner another day, it was somebody different. And yeah, you're going to have someone set the stage for the entire series, but then you've got to have the pieces that can uh, be right behind him. You know, and, you know, you saw Manny Machado and Jake Cronenworth lead that series. You know, you think about Jake Cronenworth that entire series offensively, but then you think about Manny Machado and what he did defensively during this series. You know, the defense that he has at third base, as well as in the 2-1-1 shits where he goes out and plays short right field, and he's, he's running down – he's almost running down balls that are on the warning track in front of the Petco porch. That really tells you something about what he's able to do in terms of his ability to run and defend all these places. Yeah, going off that point, I mean, he, he would play an incredible series, like you mentioned, and, and that's not only at the plate, but like you mentioned, on the field. And that's really what it all comes down to, is everyone doing their jobs. And I think that's really what we saw this weekend, everyone doing their jobs. I mean, to hold the Dodgers to two, three runs a game, that's what's going to bring success in the wrong one. So not only is the hitting that's, you know, coming to life here and stepping up, but the pitching has, has been impressive, and I think it will continue to be um, not only from the starters, but that bullpen unit. Um, and like you said before, seeing guys like Mason Thompson come in there and, and deliver the way that they did, I mean, that's, that's all it comes down to, doing your job um, and, and ultimately getting wins, and especially getting big wins against a team like the Dodgers, in which you need to sweep series against them. And it was great to see. Mm-hmm. For those that don't know who Mason Thompson was heading into Tuesday night, he was a – Third round pick in 2016, and for those that knew that 2016 draft class, it had names like Joey Lucchese, Eric Lauer, and Buddy Reed. So, you know, it was a pretty deep class, and, you know, kind of really what Mason Thompson's been able to do, he's been in that bullpen for El Paso this year down in the Padres Triple A uh, team, and he had six saves entering um, Tuesday before the call-up. And so – a guy that throws 99, which we saw on Tuesday night, you know, was a, you know, a bold choice by Chase Singler to pit Kim over, I think it was Nick Ramirez, a lefty, to have a lefty-lefty matchup with, I think it was Max Muncy coming up in that situation, shows you the belief and really just the communication of the entire organization from Singler to the, the scouts 
to just everyone about all the players. You know, this was the first sweep for the Padres against the Dodgers since 2013, and it was the first sweep at Petco Park since 2010. Long time. Yes, it has. I remember was, when it, when that happened in 2010. No, but I feel like I should because when you think about 2010 to win 90 games that year, you know that kind of stands out. I mean, I I don't even remember that too because that's how long it was. <laughs> <laughs> Been a minute, but I mean, hey, you got it done. So yes, no, too. We don't even bring up the starting pitching. You know how. You know, but to see Darvish, Musgrove, and Snell deal the way that he did, to see the way they battled, knowing of how good that Dodgers lineup is, is probably something that should, I feel like we talk, we need to talk about more because you think about for how good that Dodgers lineup is to get uh, Cody Bellinger back last night, Max Muncy back Tuesday night, and to see the way the Dodgers, you know, fight off pitches in the box. But to see the way the Padres been able to deal on the mound, especially you think about you, Darvish set the tone on Monday night. This uh, 11 Ks to reach 1500 Ks in his career, the fastest to reach 1500 Ks in 197 career games. You now you had Blake Snell Tuesday night. You know he goes five innings with Tangler coming out in the fourth inning or in the top of the fifth inning with two outs to give him that confidence. And to give him that breather. And then you see Joe Musgrove be able to hold his own. And the native San Diegan, who went to Grossmont High, grew up in Al- grew up in El Cajon, to come out and throw six innings last night was uh, huge for the Padres. Oh, well, it's awesome to see. And especially when you have a solid group like that. No, I mean, not only them three, but the whole rotation. Um, they all have the ability to win these kinds of games. And that's why you go ahead and you pick up guys like Blake Snell on the offseason. So to see that paying off so far for the Padres, um, man, I mean, it's it's going to make a difference for them as the season goes on. Like I said, I mean, it's always a long season when you're able to be this successful against such a good team, such a good lineup like the Dodgers. I mean, you're only expecting it to continue. So hopefully they can. Mm-hmm. And you think about the Padres schedule coming up. You think about you play the D-backs, you play the Phillies, you play the Reds, you play the Rockies, teams that are – at 500 or below 500, you know, these are, these are games that you have to win or at least win series heading into the all-star break coming up. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, these are all crucial series because you want to have that lead going to the all-star break or at least as close as you can get to leading the NL West, because we all know how good the giants have been. Mm -hmm. So um, as long as we're able to kind of um, diminish that gap and, and hopefully get there, I mean, that, that would be my goal at this point for the Padres, to get as close as you can to the lead in the NL West before the All-Star break, mm-hmm. especially against in, in series against, like, the Diamondbacks and teams of that sort. Yes. Um, you think about the Padres, they're four and a half back of the Giants for first place. The Dodgers are four games back. And, you know, these are, like Kyle said, these are, t- these are going to be series that you're going to have to win. So you need to take at least two out of three in these series. You can't be – getting swept by the Rockies this time come next Absolutely. month before the break. We yep. speak of the Giants because they just played the Angels. And I would say it's, I don't know if heartbreak's an understatement, but that's kind of how I would describe the past two games for the Angels. 
So, yeah, uh, me being the Angels fan that I am, we have seen some tough games these past two games. Actually, three if we go back to the Detroit series. Um, the Angels were a game above 500 at one point, which pretty surprising to me considering Trust been out. Rendon's been hurt. Um, the usual offense for the Angels. Um, but they, they take three out of four against the Tigers. They return to... 500 with that loss, that 5-3 loss against the Tigers. And then this week, as Brevin mentioned, Angels took on the San Francisco Giants in Anaheim. First game, 5-0. Don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I mean, it, it really just came down to the starting pitching. Di Scalfani, he's been doing it all year. 8-2 and two record. And then against the Angels, I don't even – he's not considered the ace anymore, luckily, no. for the Angels. No. <laughs> <laughs> but Andrew Heaney goes six, gives up five. He did strike out ten, but when you give up five and you score zero, that's what mm-hmm. – you're going you're gonna to lose the game, and which is exactly what happened. 5-0 loss for the Angels. Uh, the Angels did get six hits in the game, but um, – the left on base stat, that's that's what's been glaring all year, and, and eight was the number for that game. So um, that's the way they started their two-game series against the Giants with a 5-0 loss. And then uh, yesterday, which was Wednesday, uh, finished off the next part of that. And in that game was Otani pitching, and we all know how good he's been this season. He went six, gave up six hits, only one run, and he struck out nine, which is great to see. We've We've been waiting for – Otani to get his strikeout count up and now, you know, his pitch counts going up a little bit more too. So that's nice to see from Joe Madden giving him some more opportunity at the mound and letting him finish off a strong outing. He went six, like I mentioned, just gave up one. And it was a great game yesterday between the Angels and Giants. I mean, we saw a lot of production uh, from guys like Fletcher, two hits, Lagares had two hits, Walsh, Jared Walsh had two hits. Um, and the game went to extra innings, um, ultimately resulting in another loss. Uh, this went 13 innings, and in the end, I believe it was the 13th inning. Yep, it was 13th inning in which the Giants dropped seven. <laughs> so uh, tough way to end that little two-game series there. Uh, 9-3 was the final score. Giants took that one. Alex Claudio gave up three earned runs in .1 of an inning. So um, not the way the Angels wanted to uh, have their midweek series go, uh, but looking forward, uh, hopefully it's a little goes a little better this upcoming weekend against the Rays. They're a good team as well. I think uh, Griffin Canning is going to start off on the series on Friday uh, for the Angels, but um, – yeah, a couple tough losses this week for the Angels, especially losing in 13 innings, even with the extra um, base runner rule. I mean, it still took them a few extra innings to get to that point and for someone to win the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you just really want to see the offense step up, uh, continue to step up, I should say, until Trout is able to make his return. Mm-hmm. Yeah, too, you think about this Angels team, you know, we see, you know, we think about what Shohei Otani has been able to do. You know, what does it mean, Kyle, that, you know, the Angels have a player like Otani that can not just be the DH and hit 23 homers, but he can also pitch. And, you know, as we saw that being player of the week last week for the MLB to hit six homers, get a win, striking out, what was it, eight or something like that? 
you know, what does it mean to have that for this Angels team? Oh, yeah, he's sensational. We all know it. But um, this is everything that we expected from him, and it's everything that we currently need from him because there's no player in the world like him, and we're going to need that to continue. He's had some injury issues throughout, you know, his first two years of being an angel, uh, things of that sort. Now he's starting to see both time on the mound and at the plate. And not only that, but he's producing at a high level. And that's incredibly important because when the next best player in the world, Mike Trout, is out, I mean, you're going to need someone to step up and, and fulfill his shoes in a sense. And Otani has done that. He's done a great job. So, uh, you know, just really hoping it continues and, and seeing his uh, progression on the mound as well, especially um, having, having surgery uh, last year. I mean, it's great to see him being successful. I mean – in yesterday, yesterday's game, though, I mean, I don't even know how many pitchers were at the plate, which was pretty interesting to see because you would expect, okay, you're going to have another pitcher at the plate. It's going to be Otani. But no, we, uh, the Angels had a pitcher hit instead of a DH, and the Giants had a DH. And I think that was the first time that's ever happened in a game or something like that. Mm-hmm. So um, that was pretty interesting. That's, that's not something you expect to see, but um, – but going back to my point, um, it, it's going to be really important for Otani to not only continue um, that progression, but um, just keep it up at a high level because it's what this team needs to remain in playoff contention. If he's not producing, I don't think the rest of the team is. Maybe Jared Walsh is, you know, he's he's going to have he's going to get what's his. But um, it, it's it's been a very interesting year so far. I'll tell you that. Yeah, you bring up Jared Walsh. You know, you think about him, Otani, you know, even with Trout out, what's it been like to have those two be really the cornerstones of that lineup? Oh, it's it's been incredibly important. Um, earlier in the season, there was that situation at first base between Jared Walsh and Albert Pujols, and who's going to get more playing time? Who's going to be the DH? Uh, a lot of hypotheticals going on. Pujols moves on to the Dodgers. The Angels give Walsh his opportunity. He took that, and uh, he's an all-star candidate for a reason. He's put up fantastic numbers. I mean, hitting 292 this season, slugging percentage at 576 currently. I mean, this is this is what the Angels thought they had in this guy, and he's proving it. So um, that I think his consistency has been very important too, because um, last season he kind of got off, got his opportunity. Uh, got AL Player of the Month last September. I was thinking, okay, he could be a nice prospect to come. To see him keep that production up has been important. And um, like I said before, for the Angels to, you know, keep up with these other ALS teams, they're going to need that because it's a tough division. So you have to keep it going. Mm-hmm. You bring up the All-Star break. It's coming up. The All-Star game is currently in the midst of voting. Today was the last day of voting um, in the Phase 1 uh, voting. Um, Kyle, you think about, you know, one of the things that we see with the All-Star game is the home run derby. We see Otani say yes to doing that. Uh, we see Pete Alonso um, say yes to it. Um, who, who are some of the other competitors that you see in this year's derby out in a thin air course field out in Denver? Man, well, I did want to see Vlad Jr. again, but um, sounds like he's not going to compete at this point. 
Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure. Uh, we were talking about this the other day. One person I kind of do want to see is Nelson Cruz. Um, that'd be definitely interesting to see. I believe he's, what, 37, 38 years old or something like that, 36, something around there. And I believe he has 16 home runs this year, and, he, and he's been hurt for a part of it or something along those lines. So um, that'd be interesting to see. Um, Otani, obviously excited to see him. Um, I think he's, he's going to belt some really long home runs and that's going to go on any side of the ballpark too. That's, that's not exclusive to only going to right field as well. So, um, that's going to be fun to watch, but, um, yeah, I think Nelson Cruz is someone, that's it, kind of a wild card. I'd want to see out there in the home run derby. Um, it was already announced that Pete Alonso is going to compete, which is pretty interesting. He's going to defend his crown anyways, but I think he only has 10 home runs so far this year, but, um, so yeah, Nelson Cruz is, is kind of the wild card for me who I'd want to, I'd be intrigued to see him compete against these younger guys. Um, what about you, Brevin? Who, who, who do you want to see? I think, you know, we bring up Otani in terms of home runs for the Angels. I think, I think the way Jared Wall swings that bat, you know, how it's all, when you look at his swing, it's all moving forward towards the pitcher. And it's not really, you don't really see that a lot with hitters because of how much they stay back. And, you know, when you see guys really, the way he's able to turn his hips is something that we really don't see a lot from power hitters. And I think it would be, you know, and it kind of, you know, it's going to play in favor of the hitters this year with that thin air in Denver. And so giving, oh yeah, giving Jared Walsh that opportunity, especially when you might not see Tatis, you might not see Vlad Jr., you might not see Acuna at the same time because of injuries or they want to, save themselves for the rest of the season, it opens up those spots for players like Jared Walsh. It might open a spot for another LS possibility and Matt Olson, you know, and so I think it, you know, it'll, I think to see Jared Walsh in there would be kind of a good thing to see for, for the Angels and for Angels fans. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And like you mentioned, I mean, he has a sweet swing. When he connects, it's gone. So um, being, being in Denver, if he gets his hands on a pitch, who knows how far that's going. And the same could be said about Otani, really any of the competitors that are in the Derby. Um, do you know the format that they're doing this year? Is it anything different than it was in 2019? I don't think it's different. I think it's going to be the same. You have the time limit, okay. timeouts, um, yeah, and that bracket format. Right. Okay. Man, it, w- it would be something to see Tatis out there, but I don't think that's mm-hmm. going to happen. Well, see, with the Padres, they said it's going to be up to him if he wants to play. Um, and Tatis fully understands about, you know, what the, where his team wants to go, where the team wants to be. So it's not going to be like Tatis isn't like I – he's not fully committed to being in the Derby without thinking about what's best for his team. And I think that's right. one of the – the good things about Tatis, you know, especially knowing that he's 22 years old and realizing that, you know, what this team believes in and where this team can go. Especially of, this season. Mm-hmm, yes. And two, you think about here, there's six guys that have 20 homers so far in MLB. Adelise Garcia in that mix. Kyle Schwarber is just behind them at 19. Remember the show wow. that he – that remember the show that he put on a couple of years ago in the Derby at Nationals Park, I want to say, a couple of years ago? Yeah, didn't he hit three the other day as well? 
So, yeah, that's his three minute game. Yeah. yeah. And then you have uh, the Cincinnati Bastros and Jesse Winker and Nicholas Castellanos. Yeah. They might be in their home run derby. So we're going to see a few in a few weeks or really, I think maybe next week of who really will compete in the home run derby. We're going to introduce a segment that we are going to call fair or foul kind of goes with down the line, you know, is it going to be fair? Is it going to be foul? And so this week we are going to be jumping on MLB baseballs with pitchers using sticky substances. Kyle, what are your thoughts about pitchers using spider chat and all these sticky substances? Oh man. Well, this was an issue I wasn't too familiar with until I started kind of looking into it, the effects it had on the game. So really if, if you are unfamiliar using these sticky substances for pitchers, improving velocity, grip, spin of the baseball, um, especially the spin. That's been, a, that's been a major topic and seeing how the, how the ball's rotation has been impacted by um, this new ruling uh, after it was decided, I should say. So, um, you know, going off of that, everyone knows the Tyler Glasnow situation. He gets hurt. Um, he said he mixed Rosen and some sunscreen to get a better grip. But he said not using those substances led to a change in his delivery, which ultimately resulted in his recent injury. Um, this week we saw that DeGrom, he was the first pitcher to get inspected. Some pitchers didn't like it. Some of them didn't really mind. <laughs> it was funny to see the reactions. But, um, yeah, no, I, my personal opinion on this, I don't think Rob Manfred has handled this appropriately. Just like Glasnow said during his press conference, why do you have to change things halfway through the season? It's, I mean, it's been a problem in the MLB, but do it, do it in a timely manner. Do, do it at the beginning of the year. Set a precedent. Mm-hmm. Um, it really ultimately all comes back to Rob Manfred, the job he's done. Rules were not being enforced. And then suddenly there's a 10-day ban attached with any violation. And mm-hmm. then teams like the Astros and the Red Sox, after they cheated in postseason play, they just get a slap on the wrist. So um, if that, so that's kind of my argument against this. Is, is this a notable issue to crack down on? Probably. Yes, I would say so. But I mean, how often do we see hitters complain about this at the same time? Uh, you know, there, now after this recent ruling, now there's that precedent that uh, pitchers are going to have to fall from here on out. So I think we're going to see how it affects pitchers and hitters in terms of analytics. We already have, but we'll see more in long-term. And I think that's really going to give us a better opportunity to find out if using these sorts of substances really gives pitchers that advantage that, um, you know, people have been talking about for such a long time, why pitchers have been using these substances. Um, I think we're going to have more answers as time goes on as, uh, as there's a larger sample size with that. Um, that's my take on it. We'll see what happens. Brevin, what do you think? Yeah, too. You think about these pitchers, they, they use these substances to get a better grip. And they right. need it to, you know, and with them not having to use these sticky substances, they're not going to be able to, to, you know, it might, it might lower their control. You know, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see more hit by pitches, you know, I mean, yeah, we've seen balls not break on sliders and curveballs, but I think we might see that more. And obviously it's going to lead to more home runs when you, know, you leave pitches hanging. But it right. can also lead to more curveballs, more sliders, 
landing on players, on hitters, in terms of more hit-by-pitches as well. Right. And, and two, that could even be on a fastball, you know, not just a slider and a curveball, for that matter. It could be on a fastball, too, you know. 100%, yeah. A 98-mile-an-hour go right into the ribs, you know, that, you know, you, you might not be able to see, you might you might see that more just because of the less grip and grip control that they have on the ball. And, you know, I think, I think too, I think MLB just jumped the gun because, you know, we, this was brought up a few weeks ago and, you know, you know, like you said, Kyle, about Tyler Glass now kind of changing this midway through the year rather than waiting till the end of the year, especially when you also had the collective bargaining agreement, um, that contract ending this year as well. Ah, that's right. Yeah. And so, you know, that kind of puts into um, discussion as well. And that kind of no one thinks about, but then you think about, you know, you think about the stats that have already come out just in this month alone, compared to the first two batting averages are up, home runs are up. And, you know, and that's because of the, the spin rate that pitchers don't have without the grips. And so I think it's been kind of just, I think MLB has just jumped the gun a little bit on this, and they, I think they should have waited till the end of the year when they fully realize, um, rather than just seeing two months of data. Right. Yeah. Totally agree with that. And then you think about, you know, with the rules about managers uh, checking on pitchers to see if they have anything. <laughs> we see Tuesday oh, night. Uh, the whole situation between the Phillies and Nationals with Phillies manager Joe Girardi and Max Scherzer. Yeah, yep. (laughs) As a a baseball fan who wouldn't know what really is going on and you see Joe Girardi come out of the dugout and try and charge Max Scherzer, you would think that there's going to be some type of fight about who knows what reason because it's not like no one was hit during the game. Right. Yeah. <laughs> when you're when when you're able to realize that it's to check for any of these sticky substances, it's <laughs> you're just like, oh, that's yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Yep. And you see that happen. He was already checked before when this happened, and that that's kind of what stands out about it. It's not like Joe Girardi telling him after the first hitter to check. You know, this is yeah. this is already about after the first and second checks that. George Wright is telling him in the, I think it was the fourth inning to tell him to go check. And then I was just like, I, I think he's good, Joe. I think he's good. <laughs> and you even, you could even, yeah, you could even see Max Scherzer during the third, third check that he says, he, you could even read his list that says, I got nothing. I got nothing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's not going to go into the dugout in between innings and knowing that. He's going to not subject to check to be checked at any time too. Yes. So. Uh huh. And then what's funny is you see the next day you see Ryan Zimmerman and Max Scherzer telling the umpires to check Bryce Harper's hair. <laughs> <laughs> see, see that might have a sticky substance in it. Yes. Uh-huh. That that I understand. That I understand. <laughs> too, too much conditioner in that hair. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Yeah, but, yeah, and then this is something that pitchers are gonna have to get used to. Obviously, they're, you know, especially for pitchers that aren't, you know, they something that has to, they have to get used to, which 
you know, we saw Mason Thompson the other night uh, on Tuesday night for the Padres after after the out that Manny has it tight in third base. It was too excited. He either he forgot that he had to get checked or no one told him that he had to get checked. But you see, you see um, him having to be like, oh, I have to get checked. You see, um, you know, just all these players, you know, because of just they have other thoughts that are going on at the moment. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, I, I, I see why, you know, some pitchers are annoyed by it, especially when you check them several times in a game, but it's also pretty funny to see guys like Shohei Otani be willing to be checked out in time, like talking and smiling with the umpires during the whole process. And it, it's, it's different. It, it's funny to see the variety of reactions uh, that these pitchers are having, but um, we'll see how it's handled throughout the year because I'm sure, I mean, these checks are, um, these, these are going to be pretty constant. <laughs> yeah. Did you see, um, did you see Sergio Roma's reaction? <laughs> that was, that was pretty funny. <laughs> he drops the gloves, he gives him the hat and goes Steve lines and pulls down the pants too at the same time. And I was just like, <laughs> he's like, yeah, right here. <laughs> Look at well, at least in Sergio Robles case, he knew what he was doing. Not like steel lines and be like, oh, shoot. I, yeah, that happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, let's see. When we think about the season, you know, we bring in the All-Star break. We're also reaching that halfway mark to this 2021 season. Can you believe that we're about to reach 81 games in the season, Kyle? That's crazy. We're there. Yes. We are nearing the halfway point. It's crazy. I think too with the shows how this really this season really shows how long a hundred and sixty two game schedule is compared especially when you have a sixty game schedule last year. Oh man. hundred percent. I mean it's it's like night and day. It's not even close. Um I, I definitely prefer this kind of schedule than any sort of shortened schedule ever. Um <laughs> But um, it, it, it was interesting seeing a lot of the comparisons of teams from the first 60 games of last mm-hmm. season compared to the first 60 games of this season. Um, just checking, like, progress, seeing the mm-hmm. similarities, differences. Um, that was a pretty cool, I guess, uh, mile mark mm-hmm. for, for this season, now that everything is, is back to normal. See, I think, too, is that it kind of shows the energy that each team has and, you know, compared to last year, you think about teams that, you know, and too with the exchange of playoffs last year, you kind of see teams that with a better sense of urgency, or I should say a higher sense of urgency at game number 50 last year compared to game number, I should say not game number 50, at game number 40 last year compared to game number 40 this year. Right, you know, you're yeah. you're only a fifth of the way into the season, or even actually a quarter into the season. You know, it shows you that, you know, it really shows you how long 162 games really is. And then you factor in all the extra innings that go into it and the, the rest that players right. need, especially when, you know, they they have to play seven-inning doubleheaders. I still like the nine-inning doubleheaders myself, I think. Yeah. Know, you're still playing two games, you know, just continue to play nine. The only reason you had seven was just because of 60 games. You know, I, I think – Personally, I think you should still be playing nine inning doubleheaders. Yeah. 
it, it, there was a lot that happened last year um, mm-hmm. with these new rules and, and, and COVID-19 and everything that went down. But um, I, th- I think what's really interesting is, is it would be um, interesting to tap into a player's mind mm-hmm. and, and see what it's like playing in these, in these first 60 games of this year compared to last year. I mean, it must have felt like scrimmages all last year. No fans, no energy in the building or anything. It must have just a completely different feel this year. It must – I mean, that just shows how – how odd this last year has been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, too. You know, usually when you you play games, you rely on the fans for energy. You know, we've, we've seen teams, not just for baseball, but all sports, they have to rely on their own teammates for energy. And we right. had to see that all year. You know, unless you're at Petco Park and you're living in one of those apartments, you know, you're, you have to rely on, as a player, you have to rely on your teammates to give you that energy every single day. All right. Mm -hmm. All right. We're going to conclude this baseball talk right now. We're going to move on to the NBA playoffs. And Kyle, when you think about the playoffs, you know, we see the, the new sort of format with the playing games uh, with the nine and the 10 seed facing off. And then they play the eight or with the seven plays eight, the the losers play in the loser, the seven, eight plays the the winner, the nine, 10, Kyle, what's been ultimately the biggest surprise of these playoffs? Well, with that whole format, I, I honestly kind of liked it. Um, at first, I was a little confused by it, but um, once once I saw the bracket, once I visually saw everything, um, it made a lot more sense to me. And um, especially for those, for those teams that didn't get the automatic bid, I mean, it makes it a lot more competitive. I like seeing more teams in these playoffs. Um, but in terms of surprises, man, there's been a lot – um, you know, an easy option here would just to say, you know, oh, it's, it's the Hawks, um, which I'm going to go with. I, I think it really is the Hawks. They're only a few games away from making out of the East, and no one, no one would have thought that would happen. Um, and, you know, going off of that, too, I think a big reason of that is injuries that's happened. I think the injuries um, – Maybe not necessarily surprised to some like LeBron James who thought, you know, oh, having this season right after the last, you know, without much of a break, um, that could have contributed to this. Um, yeah, I would say so. But, I, but there's just been so many. Mm-hmm. And, and not only just the injuries themselves, but how they've impacted not only past series, but the, cur- but the current conference finals as well, which we're about to get into in a second. Um, but, um, yeah, in terms of surprises, I would say the Hawks, the way they've been able to dominate the East, I mean, you look at them, they haven't been that injured either, but, mm-hmm. um, the injuries itself, I, I would say, are another big part of that. What do you think, Revan? I mean, there's, there's been a lot that's gone on. It seems like these playoffs yeah. have dragged on for like two months, mm-hmm. but here we are. Yeah. I'm going to touch on the play-in first before I get to the surprise. I think too, and I think, I think the Play-in's going to change a little bit next year because when you look at a seven-team in the West, they're going to be 10 games over 500, you know, and I think yeah. I think because of that, you know, I think it should be the 9 and 10 will play each other, and then they'll face the 8 seed. I think that kind of, you know, when you're 10 games over 500 in the NBA, you're a playoff team. Right, I agree. You know, and in the East, yeah. when you're 10 games over 500, you're easily a, easily a 5 seed. You could right. be close to hosting the home field. And so I think, you know, and you know, when we were talking when NBA on TNT was talking about the playing game, that's the same thing that uh Kenny Smith said. You know, when you're 
you shouldn't be in a playing game when you're 10 games over 500. That's a good season to those type of teams, unless you're, you know, expected to do more, obviously. Right. But, yeah. You know, I think it should be eight to nine plates or the nine and 10 play each other in a one game to face the eight seed that was in face the one. I think right. I think that's how I kind of see the plan because especially like, like I said, when you have a team that's 10 games over 500, you know, that's got close to a 600 or no, yeah, 550 winning percentage, you know, that that's, you know, they should, they should get that automatic spot in playoffs. Yeah. And, and that makes more sense for a quote unquote play in, I, I feel mm-hmm. like too. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I, we'll see if they change anything. I, I yeah. feel like maybe, you know, this year they were kind of experimenting just because of what they did with the bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? I, I, I hope it does change. I mean, it, w- it was yeah. pretty interesting to see it this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but can it be sustained? I don't know. Yeah, I think that's going to be the question. Going back to the biggest surprise for me, you bring up the Bucks, or you bring up the Hawks. I'm going to go with the Suns on this one because I think yeah. for really – how competitive that Pacific division is in the Western Conference. You have the Clippers, you have the Lakers. You can really add the Warriors in that uh, discussion because of what they've been able to do for the past five years, you know, and really see Mm -hmm. the stuns and what they've been able to do. We obviously know the Kings, they're trying to build around De'Aaron Fox, but you look at the stuns and kind of, they're kind of that, team that they're kind of that third or fourth team people talk about in that division because of how good the other teams are in that Pacific division. And you look at oh yeah the, the young duo that the Suns have with uh, Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. And then you add a CP uh, Chris Paul into that mix, you know, that just adds that type of mentality for the Suns, especially what we brought up earlier for them to win, to go undefeated in the bubble in the bubble and then for them not to make the playoffs just gave them more energy coming into this year. Yeah. Not only that, and they were able to build their team. They, they got a lot of good pieces around them. Uh, like Jay Crowder, for example, yep. mm-hmm. I mean, each team needs a shooter and they have him and they have a couple others. So I, I feel like that's why they've been such a surprise because I mean, they have all these role players that fulfill those roles and, and they just gel very well together as a team. Um, but going off the Suns, I mean, here we go. We're going on to game three. Yeah. Uh, games one and two. Um, I mean, it's been a great series so far between them. The first game, 120-114. Phoenix took that game. Um, Devin then, Booker, 40-point triple-double in that first yeah, game, too. Yep. He went absolutely ballistic. And uh, that's what they need from him, especially when mm-hmm. you have a guy like Chris Paul out. He was able to step up and get his teammates involved. I think the biggest stat that I think about with that triple level for Devin Blaker is the rebounds. I think that's kind right. of the key stat because it shows you that him as a guard, you know, he's not afraid to to box out a six foot nine oh, guard, yeah. you know, and be able to pick up those or pick up those even those balls that are tipped. You see him go pick up those rebounds. Yeah, he's he's an effort guy. He's always going to go for him if if it's around him. He's going to go for it. You see him, like you said, around the hoop. He's, he's really a hound for those rebounds at times. And then mm-hmm. it's, it's good to see him distribute to his teammates too. I mean, we saw him show off a couple of really nice passes in that game as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, strong, strong game from them. 
um, in that first one that was back on what was that, that Sunday, was Sunday. Mm-hmm. last Sunday. Yeah. So now the next game was Tuesday um, again in Phoenix, that one ending on the alley-oop, which will probably uh, be in the minds of a lot of NBA fans for a while. Um, mm-hmm. Perfectly executed play. Uh, yeah. Phoenix won 104-103, essentially at the buzzer. Mm-hmm. Um, Brevin, what did you think of that one? You know, I think it's – I still don't really understand why coaches really don't use that play more often. You know, to use your – you know, you can – whether it's a baseline out of bounds or your – or it's the baseline right, at, right next to the basket, you know, parallel to the basket – I don't understand why coaches use use that play more often. I think because you have your you use your big guy that can throw the ball up into the air for a lob and they can easily throw it down for pretty much an easy two points. I I don't really know why coaches don't use that type of play more often. Well, that whole play kind of happened because of Paul George. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> missing these two free throws. Yeah. Uh, kind of putting them in that position where they're mm-hmm. only up by one and that play to happen. Um, mm-hmm. But going off of that, um, what you said, Brevin, that play, um, what's really interesting about that is that there were four shooters along the mm-hmm. perimeter. So, yeah. I mean, your guys are going to have to guard them because we all know mm-hmm. the Suns are shooting team. They each have guys that are able to put the ball in from downtown. But then also you have a guy like Aiton. He was your first pick, what? three years ago or something like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. And when you have him against Zubats, you expect, you expect your guy to make that play. Mm-hmm. Um, so what really, it all came down to having those defenders on the perimeter and then the pass, exquisite pass, yeah. great finish. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that pass isn't there, that ball is probably either rimming out off the, off of uh, the catch from Aiton or something like that. Or but, get hit um, too. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the play just worked. It was perfectly executed. Um, and it was game winning, which is ultimately all that matters in the end. Um, mm-hmm. Now we look forward to tonight. We have another game between those two. I uh, believe this one's going to be in LA um, yeah. uh-huh. in terms of what's going on. Chris Paul, CP3, is available for game three. That's mm-hmm. really great to see after he was put on the COVID-19 health and safety protocol list. And then, man, Kawhi Leonard, it, it, it yeah. hurts not being able to see him out there being, you know, SCSU alumni, but I mean, he's such a difference maker for them too. He is. I think, you know, when you look at what Kawhi's been able to do, especially for that franchise over the last couple of years, you know, he's really helped take Steve Ballmer out of his chair in terms of all the celebrations that he's been able to give. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. And, you know, and this is too, you know, it's coming off of a 2019 playoffs that we saw Kawhi Leonard, not just what he did in the playoffs, but to see him get that game-winning shot over the 76ers, you know, that game winner that bounced on the rim four or five times. Yeah, absolutely. And so don't know if he'll be re- making a return anytime soon, um, but, you know, hopefully the knee sprain, that's what they're calling it, Hopefully that's not as bad as it seems to be. And who knows if they move on, you can make an appearance in the finals. We'll see. Kyle, how much, how much does it help the, uh, the Suns that they have CP3 
to add the fact that the Clippers don't have Kawhi for this road game? Oh, I mean, it's, it's immaculately important because, I mean, Chris Paul, he, he's their guy. I mean, he has, he has so much playoff experience. He's a winner, great facilitator. His mid-range game is undefeated. That just, I mean, he can shoot the three as well. So that's just another element of his game. Um, that you really need to be prepared for. So, I mean, he's he's more than a dual threat. He can really do it all. He puts his body out on the line. Um, so to have him and, and for the Clippers to not have Kawhi, that just means they're going to have have to have one of their guards step up, if, whether that's Terrence Mann like he was last series, if it's Reggie Jackson shooting the deep ball, one of them's going to have to step up and we'll see what happens. But I think that the Suns are – with the advantage now, especially with that core they have around them. Mikkel Bridges, he's been such a solid player. Um, Cameron Payne, he's been a surprise as well. So, I mean, it's going to be tough for the Clippers, man. Mm-hmm. You think about, too, with the way the Suns are, where they're situated here in this in this um, Western Conference Finals, up two games to none. If they win tonight or they win game four, does that kind of – Seal the deal on the series, or or can the Clippers have a chance to come back in the series if the uh, the Suns win Game Three or Game Four? Man, it's it's tough to count the Clippers out because mm-hmm. a lot of people wanted to after the Mavs went up three two against them. Yeah. Um, but man, without Kawhi, I don't I don't know because like I said, you're gonna have to have that that second, third option kind of step up for them besides Paul George. And, and even Paul George is going to have to have a pretty solid shooting game. Um, so, man, I, I don't know if they could. Uh, I don't want to count them out if they did go down 3-0 or something like that. But, I mean, 3-0 would be a lot to overcome. 3-1, you know, maybe I would, you know, kind of give them more of a chance to uh, come back in the series. But, man, if the Suns are able to close – close out game three here tonight with the win. I think taking the series. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to move on to the Eastern conference finals. We saw game one last night and we brought, we brought him up earlier, but uh, talk about a game that Trey Young has 48 points and 11 assists to win nice one trade. Yes. <laughs> Man, that guy is unstoppable when he's on his game and we're basically the same age as this kid is. So, I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. it's been incredible to see what he's been able to do on the floor. Um, not only shooting wise, he can get hot at any moment, but he can also drive in. Um, it's He's slippery through the lane. He also has a, a killer floater that's hard to stop. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you go off what he did last night again, 11 assists. His distribution has been incredible. He's behind the back passes to like Kevin Herter and, and things of that sort. It's been it's been great to see, man. And um, he's the leader of the team. And I think when he's on the floor, it's it's going to be hard to count the Hawks out. And the Bucks were heavy favorites yesterday as well. Yes, they were. And I think the thing that I think the thing that hurt the Bucks the most was I think the three point shooting from Chris Middleton to shoot O of nine from three, and all for him to only have fifteen points. For his value that he brings to that bike team, he's got to have more than 15 points, and he's got to at least make at least three threes. You add nine points to that, that's 24 right there. Yeah, this whole playoffs, he he just doesn't look like an all-star like he was, I believe, the past two years. I know mm-hmm. that he was two years ago. But he, he doesn't look like an all-star player at all. 
that that's he's a shooter. You go over nine, it's not going to cut it. Um, fortunately, I think that they did have Drew Holiday step up. I think mm-hmm. he went six for eleven from three or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's why they go out and they acquire a guy like uh, him mm-hmm. um, through a trade. But man, you definitely need more from Middleton heading forward. I mean, he's he's essentially your focal point from the perimeter. So. Man, you need to see more from him. Giannis is going to have his game. Um, but when you when you have as little as an impact that Middleton provided, it's not going to cut it. Yeah, too. You think about Giannis, Ante Tukumpo, and you think about split up 34 and 12 rebounds. I think it's in 41 minutes. You know, we know the impact's going to be there. You know, but it's, you know, and that's the question that's, been around the Bucks the past two years. It's going to be the pieces around Giannis to get there. You know, right now, you know, especially now as the favorite, you know, when you don't have to deal with KD, you don't have to deal with LeBron um, in these playoffs right now. Yeah, that's what's going to be important. I mean, for Giannis, it really comes down to efficiency, his shot selection. I mean, he's seven feet tall. You you got to get in the lane and, and just drive down you finish strong. I've, I've seen too many of these fadeaways and just pull up jumpers from three against in the net series, for example, that's not your game. Stick to your game. We all know how dominant you are in, inside on, in the post. So let's, let's see it. Uh, really is, is really all comes down to for the bucks, you know, improving in game two. Um, I think that's, what's going to be important playing, playing his game. And then he, he can pass it too, man. Like he's a good distributor. You get some guys open, that's what's going to be important, not only the three-point shooting, but also from the bench. You got some good guys coming off the bench, mm-hmm. Chris Forbes and Connaughton. So get the, get them involved. Yeah, Giannis Kumpo was one assist away from a triple-double last night as well. Yeah. You know, we're going to move on from basketball. We're going to finish up here. We're going to talk about some some more. We're going to talk Naomi Osaka first. Uh, what does it mean that – she withdrew from the with uh, French Open a couple weeks ago, and now she's withdrawing from Wimbledon. Yeah, so the withdrawal from the French Open was um, that was related to skipping her post match press conferences. Um, the Wimbledon withdrawal was quote to focus on spending time with friends and family. Um, She's number two in the world. It's it's pretty interesting to see all this go down because I mean, why wouldn't why wouldn't the number two in the world want to compete in these events? Um, but part of the reasons that that she's making these decisions for herself is the anxiety and depression she's been dealing with. Um, she opened up about that uh, in 2018 after she won the U.S. Open when she was 20 years old um, about really the whole anxiety stigma and things of that sort that she experienced after that win. Um, I mean, for such a long time, there's been kind of that, that stigma of, of athletes are just athletes. Um, they don't have mental health or they don't deal with problems like everyday people do. But I mean, that's totally not true, obviously. I mean, especially for her, I would assume uh, a lot of athletes don't necessarily like talking to the media, especially in press conference settings, because they feel it's another chore or responsibility. 
So um, I feel like her decision was probably able to take that in stride. I was just going to add to the end of that. I mean, I feel like a lot of that pressure is on her just being such a young age. And then also, you know, her mixed ethnicity being um, black and Japanese. I mean, breaking barriers in that sense. I mean, she, she's an icon and what she's already accomplished and what she will accomplish. So, you know, I really hope she is able to kind of fight her demons and get past this and then address these problems because um, it's important for someone to be comfortable in their own skin. So, um, hopefully she's able to overcome it and uh, be successful in the court because that's all that's all we want to see from her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, too, and that's also with the Olympics right around the corner. Uh, being from her, especially with those Olympics being in her home country, going to be played in Japan as well. Absolutely, yeah. It'd be great to see her there. So I, I really hope that she's able to um really work on herself as a person and then um uh, get past this um her issues because she's unstoppable on the courts and but i mean you can't be successful on the court without taking care of yourself first so hopefully she's able to um get that taken care of for sure Mm -hmm. Uh, we're going to end on this last sports topic but it's um earlier this week uh raiders defensive back carl nassib coming out uh via instagram kyle what were your thoughts um, seeing Nassib come out and to be that first NFL player to do that. Yeah, Carl Nassib. He came out on Tuesday, like you mentioned. It, w- it was really cool to see because um, we have really have never had an announcement like that before. Um, obviously, a few years back, we had Michael Sam, but he uh, never ended up actually making a roster. He was just on the practice squad, I believe, and played in a couple preseason games for the Rams. Um, so for Nassib to come out and, you know, be the first active NFL player to reveal that he is gay, I mean, incredibly courageous. I couldn't imagine, I mean, the strength required for him to do something like that, especially um, in a league in which there are no active gay players. I mean, he, he really did break that boundary in that sense. So um, props to him. Um there's going to be trolls. There's going to be people giving him negative feedback, but you know what? He's, he's doing it for himself. He's, he's living comfortably in his own skin. And that's really what's important. And I mean, my respect to him because that takes a lot. It's not easy to do, especially under um, those circumstances announcing on social media. So um, really incredible to see good for him, rooting for him. And uh, he's a solid depth player for the Raiders too. He, he gets a lot of playing time. So um we will definitely see him out on Sundays for sure. Yeah, I think too. I think the biggest quote that came out of that, um, I'm trying to find it real quickly. Um, I can find it. You know, I think that part where he talked about visibility, and I think, yeah, you know, for him being able to do that, you know, it's tough to be able to uh, talk about or just bring it up even, you know, is one thing, but then to really right. trailblaze that, you know, we've seen obviously sports, um, you know, so we've seen trailblazers sports throughout every single uh, game, whether it was, you know, Jackie Robinson, you look at um, players like Hank Aaron, you think about, um, you know, Bill Russell even too. And I think, um, you know, that kind of, you know, here we go. This is what it says. Uh, Carl Nassib said, I think that representation and visibility are so important. I think that sentence really speaks 
so much about, you know, what really sports is, especially during, especially we're in a month where here in June, where it's Pride Month at the same time as well. Yeah, 100%. So, you know, hopefully um, from going on from this, hopefully this doesn't become as newsworthy as so many have said. And, and you know, hopefully it's, it's, it's not, you know, breaking news when um, someone else announces um, a similar decision. Um, you know, really it all comes down to uh, the normalization of it. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully a lot more people are comfortable, um, in doing so, um, from here on out and, um, especially in a platform like sports, I mean, it just, it takes so much to, you know, reveal yourself in that way. So, I mean, man, it's my utmost respect in because that's not something easy to do at all. So, um, it's, it's definitely, uh, um, a moment of pride for him just because, I mean, it's, we haven't seen anything like that before, or at least in a few years. So um, great to see, great to see. Mm -hmm. All right, that's gonna do it here for this first show of Down the Line with Kyle and Brevin. We thank all of you for tuning into this week's show. We hope to, we hope that you can listen next week here on our show. Thank you. Thank you.